Good evening, all you meat puppets and melt bananas. Welcome again to another episode of Over the Horizon, where I like to scream into the void about all kinds of topics relating to the horror genre. I am, of course, your mysterious host. And tonight's episode is all about music. I love music. In the words of the immortal Chop Top, music is my life. <laughs> and uh, it really is, you know, I... My parents are from opposite sides of the states, and uh, they wouldn't have met if they hadn't gone to the same Who concert. So really, I owe Pete Townsend my life, um, and even my first friends, my first ever friends. Uh, we we became friends over our love of music, and uh, I remember going to tons of concerts with them, and you know, going all their concerts because they were in a band, and I remember forming my own shitty band that <laughs> performed once, and. Uh, then vowed to never do it again because it sounded so terrible. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it is important. It's a very important part of my life. And, uh, the you know, it came to my attention that there's a good amount of horror films uh, that, you know, are based around music. And I wanted to review some of those. Uh, so tonight we're going to be talking about uh, The Green Room. We'll be talking about The Phantom of the Paradise, The Lords of Salem, and we'll also be talking about Pink Floyd's The Wall, an absolute masterpiece of an album. But I've never seen the movie up until this point, so I was very happy and excited to see that. So before moving on to our first movie, uh, you know I love to give my little personal stories. And I, I feel like I did feel a kind of personal attachment to this film because of past experiences I've had, you know. Uh, when I was younger, which is uh, such a terrible thing to say, when you realize you have to say that now when you're talking about most of your exciting stories you're not just saying like oh yeah a few weeks ago you're saying oh yeah when I was younger I'm more exciting but um anyways when I was younger I uh, I was pretty embedded in the punk scene in where I'm from uh I wouldn't say I was like super hardcore but my friends were you know a pretty popular enough band in the scene and I just kind of followed them around and I went to a lot of shows and it was great. I love I loved being a part of the punk scene. It's something I uh, wish I could still be a part of. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's just uh, you know it's just this really interesting, nuanced subculture with so many different subcultures within it. And uh, you know, you, you always see it in these '80s horror slashers. You know, when they wanted to have a the body count be a little bit more varied, they'll add one character in there with like a leather jacket and a mohawk, and you know, say they're a punk, but really they're just a caricature and they're shown to be kind of stupid and reckless and you know I, I i never got that really when i would hang out with uh punks you know it's a lot of different things and it's not just you know mohawks and leather jackets it's really just this i don't know it's just this really interesting group of people and i feel like you know you it's just fun i think that's the biggest part of it. it's really fun going to shows i remember when my life was essentially you know going to school hating it going home hating it and just waiting for the weekends to go to a show with my friends that was like basically it and it was really fun you know you get this great feeling of uh i don't know there's not i can't really describe the feeling of just like when you're listening to some just heavy music and you're just in a group of people and you're just all shoving each other and you know jumping around and you know it sounds violent you'll see you'll see videos of mosh pits if you've never been if you've never had experienced the joy of being in a mosh pit um, you see a video of it and it seems scary. I mean, like my experience had always been, you know, I would fall down. I'm a little guy. I could have been trampled in seconds, but anytime I would fall down, someone would grab me, lift me back up to my feet. And then without even saying a word, go back to moshing. And that's what it became. And, you know, when people fell down, I would try to help them up. And it was, you know, I think it's, it's a really good group of people, you know, and, uh, but that being said, uh, you know, it is all these different, um, subcultures within subcultures. And there was one group of people who just seemed hell-bent on fucking it up for everyone. Uh, these fucking skinheads who would show up to these shows and no one wanted them to be there. And I think they're just kind of being purposely obstinate because I think they knew very well that no one wanted them to be there. They knew they weren't wanted. But, you know, their band, their, their best friend's band was booked, so they have to be there because that's what every punk show is. It's just, you know, a bunch of bands get booked to some shitty bar and then all the friends of the band show up <laughs> and, you know, beat the shit out of each other. But, you know, these Nazi punks would show up and, you know, they would, you know, listen to their friend's band and then they would go out and smoke in the parking lot. And that's always where it seemed like, you know, 
some shit would get started and you know people would start kind of beating the shit out of each other whether it was started by the nazis or it was started by the you know the you know the the upstanding respectable punk um you know these nazi punks just seem to fucking ruin everything for everyone which is why the green room released in 2015 written directed by jeremy salmir was such a interesting cool movie for me to watch because it was like what if the roles were reversed what if you were the minority and you were in nazi territory i loved it i loved the premise uh so basically this movie green room is about uh this punk band called ain't rights and they're touring around the states and you know you know not touring in the sense that they have like a manager and a tour bus like it's just a bunch of friends in a van they're driving across the country and they're gonna go to shows until they run out of money for gas and then they're gonna go home (laughs) and uh you know what ends up happening is to you know because they're short on dough they end up accepting a gig at this uh backwoods skinhead venue and they show up and it's a lot more intense than they think it is you know with all these you know nazis basically walking around and you know they play their set and try to get their money and leave and uh sadly they witness a murder scene backstage and what ends up happening is they have to hold themselves up backstage as all these nazi punks are trying to kick down their door and essentially try to you know get rid of the witnesses uh, it's a great premise for a film it's kind of uh it reminds me kind of a deliverance of you know these characters being uh you know put into this kind of secluded area full of uh backwoods freaks who uh, have a very different idea of uh, how things should be ran than um you know again the upstanding citizens who in this case are a bunch of uh derelict punk rockers and just that whole situation i, I don't know the whole idea it's just such an appealing idea for me for a horror film uh one thing that this movie does amazingly is 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 in its portrayal of uh the punk subculture it doesn't go for that cartoony kind of uh again character of a punk it actually i think you know portrays it in a very realistic way a lot of these characters i i really felt like uh, i've known people who are exactly like them um you know its whole portrayal of uh you know going on tour and i i never you know went on tour because i you know my band sucked and we broke up but uh you know my friends went on tour and they had tons of stories and i love to listen to them and uh, a lot of those stories lined up very well with what uh you see in this movie um you know it beginning with um them having to uh crash at some rando's house who just happened to be you know the guy who booked their gig um that that to me is very you know it's like you know it's a punk house so it's just like you know oh yeah yeah i booked your gig and uh, i don't know you or anything but yeah just come stay at my house and you know and i i I like that a lot and you know the fact that they don't really uh plan at all you know they are supposed to go to one show and then they end up going to another venue and then they don't have enough money so now they have to go to another show and that's you know that's how they end up in the backwoods nazi compound um and i really like this also they show this kind of pursuit of authenticity i would say maybe Maybe the one thing about punks that I did not like is, and it wasn't everyone, but you know, I, if you know what I'm talking about, you know who I'm talking about. It's those people who are constantly seeking, like, who's the most authentic, you know, like, who's actually punk? Are you a, are you actually punk? And they show that pretty well, you know, when they show up at this rando's house, uh, he has a mohawk, and as soon as he leaves, one of the band members starts giving him shit about it. But then once they look through his vinyls and see the kind of music he listens to, they're like, okay, never mind, he's legit, you know? And it's like, you know, just this kind of pointless uh, exercise in, uh, I don't know, elitism, which is really, I don't know, it's something I feel like is interesting given the ideology or, you know, the the maintenance of punk rock, I guess. But it, it's true. And, you know, people who experienced it, you know, know what I'm talking about. Um, but really mostly just, you know, this idea of like living in the moment, um, you know, it's just these guys are just you know showing up at someone's house randomly drinking all his beer crashing on his couch and then you know they show up to a venue full of a bunch of nazi punks not at all worried about their well-being really just like yeah whatever we're just gonna do it because we need the money and uh you know all those characters kind of feel like i feel like they do embody that underlying punk attitude you know even even that you'll find like among nazi punks and just all different types of subjects, you know, it's even though, you know, oh, I might think that, uh, you know, one thing, or you might think one thing, it's like most punks, I feel like, you know, it's just all about living in the moment and really just, you know, just wanting to go to a show and 
listen to some good music and i think this movie shows i don't know all the characters just seem very genuine from my experience at least uh you know deeply embedded in that at, you know what i've experienced with the punk scene um so yeah i like that aspect of this movie a lot uh the other thing i like about this movie uh writing wise is these characters are so smart uh when eventually you know they do get holed up in this nazi compound and they're basically fighting off these skinheads there is so much interesting like diplomacy that's happening it's it's amazing because you know they get holed up and they're in this room and these guys are trying to these nazi punks are trying to convince them to come out and it's not through like threats or anything it's through like legitimate diplomacy and you know the guys in the room the 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 band the normal punks they're not falling for it and it's just this back and forth that's like really interesting and they're not making any stupid decisions and even then when they do uh you know make a decision and it goes wrong you know a lot of horror films someone makes a stupid decision and you're like why'd you do that that's such a stupid thing to do but i think i love i love it when movies have this um when they do something you're like oh yeah that's exactly what i would do and they end up dying anyways um and one thing I really liked was this part where uh, they realize how fucked they are and uh, they end up just blitzing. They're just like, you know what? We're just going to run and see what happens. And that's such a, it's such a punk rock thing. So, you know, it's just like basically they ended up getting to the point where they're like, we're most likely going to die anyways if we just, you know, just run and hopefully we'll get out of here. And, I, I, I you know, it's just those are the kind of ideas I feel like, you know, someone's going to have in this kind of situation, this very stressful situation. And there's so much parts in this movie just like that where they come up with something and even when it seems a little irrational it's something where you could reasonably be like yeah someone would definitely do that and i I love that these characters are very smart not just the um main characters but the nazis too they're not again fuck nazi punks but you know they're portrayed in a way that doesn't seem cartoonish it's legitimately menacing and i I like that you have these two very uh equal adversaries it feels like who are at at odds with each other and i i really like that um smart decision making in especially horror films is so important you know to make it seem like an actual intelligent worthwhile film so yeah writing wise i love that um (laughs) production wise oh man the production just kind of goes more into like how genuine this movie feels uh how all the characters are dressed um again you know not there's only one character with a mohawk (laughs) um a lot of the characters are just minimalistically, you know, wearing like a band shirt, some shitty jeans. Um, you know, the Nazi punks too. Like they don't, they do have like swastikas and uh, obviously they're skinheads, but you know, it's again not cartoonish. It feels like, oh, I've seen those assholes at concerts before. Um, I, I really like that the fashion's done really well. Like just the hair, the, the battle jackets, the, 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 the boots, the... Uh, I liked it a lot. It felt very genuine, again, very based in reality. And as someone who had kind of experience, you know, in the scene, it seemed like these are real people. Um, this is how they dress. Um, the venue too. Oh gosh, the 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 whole venue, the the Nazi venue. It's so good. It seems like a real place. It just seems like at some point it was some. It was not a venue. It seems like it was probably some other shitty building, and they just converted it to a venue which is like how most venues i've been to i remember one of my favorite shows was actually at a storage unit that was uh just they put a stage in the back and they open the garage at night and they play some music and it's just you know so that's what this felt like it felt like that kind of makeshift uh you know okay let's just throw a bar and a stage in here and you know we're good to go <laughs> and it had even just like the, the 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 sharpie graffiti on the mirror in the bathroom or like how everything just had sharpie graffiti on it that felt so real because i feel like you know everywhere i went to shows there was usually not one square inch of a wall or floor or furniture or mirror that wasn't covered in sharpie for some reason and even like the furniture is just like it seems like it was a you know dumpster dived you know all of the whole venue is just such a genuine uh it's, it's, it's a very punk venue and it feels that way it's very it just feels like a real place um and just uh, besides the authenticity of this film it's it, along with the smart uh characters making smart decisions it's they, they do it fast they're not constantly uh it's not this this, this whole it's a fast-paced film they're constantly making decisions and the film is shot in a way that just feels so action-packed and adrenaline uh driven it's just it's really tense and i love that about this film it's just constantly 
decisions made, consequences are shown. Decisions made, consequences are shown. And that's such a, uh, it's a good thing for a thriller, you know? And it's and it, the way it portrays this, um, the violence in this film, the violence in this film is nuts. It's, you know, you got that uh, schlocky violence in horror films where it's like, oh, look at all this blood spraying everywhere, you know? Uh, then you have that violence that's like very, very uh, hard to watch because it feels a little too real. This whole movie, all the violence is that kind of violence. It's that violence where you see someone get cut up, you know, beat up, stabbed, shot, and you just, you feel it. You feel that kind of phantom uh, pain because you're like, ooh, I would hate that to happen to me. And it's just, it's, there's times where you're just watching it and you're like, God, that's that seems a little too real for me. And I love that. And then along with that, too, you just kind of tying both those things together, the pacing, the action, the violence, the authenticity of the fashion and the venue. I think one of my favorite things about this movie is the um, the weapons that a lot of these characters use because it's some of the most punk rock shit in the world. They use box cutters. They use mic stands. They use um, just broken fluorescent lights. Uh it's, it's just so much improvised weaponry, that, and I just love it because it just seems so fucking punk rock. Um, there's even a part, there's several parts in this film where they use feedback from an uh, amp as a weapon. And, it's, it's, and you know, that's just amazing. It's using the feedback of an amp for a weapon is just, again, tops, most punk rock shit in the world. And, you know, along with that, how is the music in this movie? You know, this is a movie all about music it's all about punk rock how's the movie the, the music's great i mean they use a lot of um you know there's fake bands in the in the film and their songs are written great and they're doing covers also that are amazing um the best scene in the movie my favorite part of this movie it's the reason someone told me about this scene it's the reason i wanted to watch this movie was uh there's the part where they get to the nazi venue and they get on stage and you know just as a huge fuck you they decide to say, play um they play um Nazi punks fuck off by the dead Kennedys and they play it at a Nazi venue so everyone in the crowd is a Nazi and it's just great because all these you know skinheads are starting to get into it and then they realize what song is playing and they get pissed off and they start throwing beer bottles and shit and it's just definitely the highlight of the film it's my it's the reason I watched the film and I was not disappointed but the thing I like a lot though is like after they play that you know everyone's booing them and then they start their real set. You know, they play their actual songs. And then all the Nazis get into it. They're like, all right. And then they start moshing and having a good time. And they even, like, earn the... All the, all the Nazis after that are actually digging, digging them, which is, you know, funny. Because it, it's, again, just like the oh, initial judgment. And now we're... Oh, yeah, actually, you guys are good. But, yeah, just the use of a Dead Kennedy song. Amazing. And then uh, more than that, you know, more than the music they use. And they use a lot of really good music. The sound that is, to me... The perfect part of this is um, there's a lot of times where bands are playing and characters are in a different room. Uh, the titular green room is backstage, and it's where a majority of the film takes place. And there's a good part where these characters are holed up in there, and they're trying to you know fight their way out or think of a way to escape. And the Nazi bands are continuing to play up front. And the sound, I don't know, it's like the sound of live punk music being played through the walls and you know that i don't know it's so it was like nostalgic it was like awakened something to me i'm like oh my god i remember when you know i was in a different room at some show and a band's playing and you can just hear it through the walls it has like this very distinctive sound and i've heard it many times in my life and i heard it when i watched this movie and it was very satisfying this that the sound of a punk venue when you're not in the actual main stage area i like that a lot did this movie spot on with that noise specifically a very specific thing i liked about this movie is this is how they portrayed the sound of a punk venue especially when you're not it's it's genuine this whole movie is just a very genuine punk rock movie um and you know it's i i 100 recommend it because of all that it's just you know if you want to get a little taste of uh what it was like at least in my experience this seemed very genuine and you know uh probably the most respectful uh, betrayal of punks in a horror film <laughs> so yeah definitely 10 out of 10 this was a great film did not disappoint everything i was expecting about it was great uh, uh, holy crap i can't believe i got to the end of this 
without talking about Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart's the main villain in this film. Patrick Stewart, can you imagine that? It's Patrick Stewart, this 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 thespian actor who's played all these respectable, um, you know, uh, authority figures. He plays the owner of this Nazi venue, and he's a skinhead too. And it's great to see a character who's played so many heroes play such a terrible villain. But he doesn't even act that different. He does still have that very, you know, the bravado and that leadership and that sternness. And it's great. You know, that's what I'm talking about with these smart characters. You know, Patrick Stewart is such a great um, villain just because he's uh, he can betray a smart, level-headed person so well. And to especially see that, you know, in the, the context of the film where he's a smart, level-headed leader of a large Nazi following it's frightening but it's also very intriguing i really do like that you know and you know just using such a respectable actor to portray such a you know unrespectable you know uh, population of the punk culture it's just it's great you know i, I can't believe i didn't talk about him so he was almost an afterthought but yeah patrick stewart's in this film and he's fucking amazing now, I, I've just been passed a note uh, saying that I should not cuss on this show, uh, but it's really fucking hard to um, talk about punk rock without using some enhancer language. Uh, that being said, I, uh, I apologize, and we will try to return to our uh, normal broadcast standards uh, for the next uh, remainder of the show. Now, my love of music doesn't stop at punk rock. I mean, I, I for the most part, like the rock and roll genre, punk, metal, all that kind of stuff the most. But uh, I also happen to be a avid theater goer. I've been to Broadway many, many times in my life and even had the pleasure of singing on Broadway, which led to much like my foray into the punk rock genre. I, I messed up the lyrics and was laughed off stage, but it was still, you know, something I can say. I sung on Broadway. Um, and it was on Broadway that I got to see this really amazing, um, I mean, really famous uh, show, movie show uh, called uh, Phantom of the Opera. The Phantom of the Opera is a, a legendary tale that started out as a book and it was several movies and obviously a hit Broadway musical, but I'm not talking about any of that. I'm not talking about the Phantom of the Opera. I'm talking about the Phantom of the Paradise from 1974, written and directed by Brian De Palma with music by Paul Williams. This movie is so good. Just from, from the beginning, I'm going to say this is a great film uh, because it takes everything from the Phantom of the Opera and it turns it on its head and it adds this extra layer of, uh, you know, it's a modern retelling or as modern as 1974 is, but it's a modern retelling uh, using the music industry as a way to kind of frame this whole story. And the movie, made, the, the story of the Phantom makes so much sense if you just add in this like 1974 sleazy uh record company story to it it just works so well you know in the very same way you have the phantom and the phantom of the opera the phantom is uh he's a mysterious figure who haunts this opera house and is uh tormenting the uh production of uh faust at least faust is the one in the the movie with um lon cheney uh he's you know he's terrorizing these people and he's very particular about who he wants to play who but really all we're told is um that you know the phantom is just this kind of crazy guy who lives in the opera house uh in phantom of the paradise you have the paradise which is this kind of uh rock rock and roll club and the phantom is actually the songwriter the songwriter who's been wronged because this production of faust is actually his composition that he wrote but an evil producer named uh swan uh, has stolen his music without his permission is, and he's now using it to open up this club, The Paradise. And now what ends up happening is um, the Phantom ends up working up with Swan and saying that the only person who can sing his song is this girl named Phoenix, very in the same, in the same way that uh, Christine is who the Phantom of the Opera wants to play in the opera. So he picks Phoenix. He says, Phoenix is the only one who has a good enough voice to do my work any real justice and so swan agrees that he'll have phoenix play the song at the opening of his club uh, as long as the phantom continues to write music for him because he needs more music to make the whole show uh, but what ends up happening is unbeknownst to the phantom swan finds this glam rock badass name beef who he wants to play the uh the 
the rock opera instead. And so he Beef becomes the prima donna in this, where he's the one who's uh, you know, playing in the place of Phoenix, where the Phantom wants Phoenix to play his music. And it's just great because you know, you add this whole idea of the Phantom being a songwriter who is now being manipulated by a producer who is basically trying to use the music just to promote his latest and greatest, you know, um, creation. <laughs> and it just works so perfectly. Just, you know, that it's the idea of like the sleazy 1970s record company put on top of, you know, the Phantom of the Opera. It's just, it's such a perfect idea. Like this, that's just, it's just great. Uh, the production's extremely campy, but it's great. It's great because it's campy. I love the kind of goofy scooby-doo kind of uh, vibes that this film has um th that being said there is some really amazing uh production value here because you know you do have a lot of concerts going on so you have these big like uh set pieces like a big you know show and i really do like that it feels kind of you know has that kind of concert feel and it's got the it's a musical too so you get a lot of really intricate musical numbers with really cool set pieces uh, i like that a lot uh, this is the pageantry of it all. It just definitely has that kind of, um, I've never seen Rocky Horror Picture Show because I want to see it live and have the V painted on my forehead or whatever. Um, but it, it reminds me of that from what I've heard this, of the soundtrack and, uh, you know, from, uh, you know, little snippets that friends have shown me. Uh, it's very much like that. And I think if you like that film, you'll probably like this one a lot too. Um, and the, the best part is it's the Phantom. The Phantom of the paradise is great because we get to see his full evolution into this um into this kind of a uh, monster we get to see him as this dorky songwriter singer who just plays at his piano he's like warren zevon he's just very unassuming and we get to see him kind of devolve as you know first his uh first his music stolen from him and he's like well okay well they have my music but they're probably just going to call me back and have me play it and then, you know, he tries to go to the record company and he gets kicked out. So he tries to break into the record company and he gets kicked out again. So he tries to break into the producer uh, Swan's house and he's kicked out again, framed, sent to jail. And then they uh, and then they have it fixed. Swan has it fixed so that all of his teeth are removed. And then, you know, the singer, you know, he goes crazy and he tries to stop their production of his music because now his music's being played by this, you know, kitschy rock band that's supposed to be like the beach boys and so he, he runs into this he escapes jail in a box runs to the record company again and then sticks his head into a, a record press when he's trying to stop this uh record from being made and he gets scarred for life and his vocal cords are torn and you know now he has to, now he, you know in his final act of vengeance he's going to sneak into the paradise and you know he puts on this like rock and roll outfit and he sneaks around in the walls and he's tormenting everyone and it's just so great because the character he really believably goes from just this dorky person to this very frightening villain who's just going who's manic and I, I love the phantom the phantom is so good in this film i think the phantom of the paradise is more likable than any portrayal of the phantom of the opera and i think the biggest part about that i like is he's all about the music he doesn't care about phoenix as a as a woman he cares about her because she's the only one he could, after his vocal cords are ripped he thinks that she's the only one who could do his music any justice and he even tells her she says something along the lines when they first meet saying she's like oh well, you know you only say you like my singing because you think you know you think i'm pretty or something like that and he's like well i would never let my personal feelings interfere with my aesthetic judgment and it's, it's like the best line for a musician and it's all he cares about is his music he just wants his music to be played perfectly or not at all and i just love that about him because he's just you know he's not obsessive about uh the girl like uh, the phantom of the opera is and he isn't just doing it for mysterious reasons he's a very good i like him a lot he's a great anti-hero you know as he starts uh going on his like manic killing sprees you feel you kind of feel for him because he's been wronged in a way every musician i feel would probably feel terrified of being wronged and i just love that the phantom makes this film and i could i could just everything about it is just so fun to watch um and the music i mean the music the whole story is a musical it's a it's a rock opera you know you got uh, all this music playing it's all really good music um and the reason for this is because Paul Williams, who plays Swan, uh, is actually a very famous songwriter who's done tons and tons of uh, 
He's written so many hits. You probably heard at least one of them. He's written for the bands Three Dog Night and The Carpenters. He wrote music for the Muppet movie and uh, A Star is Born with Chris Christopherson and Barbara Streisand. And uh, probably most recently, he was on Random Access Memories with um, Daft Punk which I think is great because uh, I, you know, Daft Punk's, I learned, actually got their inspiration for their look, which is, you know, the leather, you know, jackets and the crazy helmets from the Phantom of the Paradise, which I think is just great. You know, it's just this full thing of life imitating art, I guess. Uh, But yeah, no, Phantom of the Paradise, I could, I don't want to spoil too much of the story, but it is, you know, it is great. It's probably my favorite adaptation of the Phantom of the Opera I've ever seen. And I've, again, seen live on broadway the phantom of the opera so that really says something i think you definitely like this if you like glam rock if you're a big fan of david bowie or you know um uh the new york dolls or sweet or kiss or alice cooper i think you'll really like this uh if you've seen the um rocky horror picture show i feel like you'd probably like that again i am a rocky horror picture show virgin but i i feel like it's got that same kind of feel Uh, But yeah, no, this is just a joy to watch. I loved every second of this film and it just gets better and better. It's a great movie. Go, go watch this movie. Do yourself a favor and go watch this movie. And, you know, talking about guys like Alice Cooper, that was kind of where my two, two of my favorite things mixed was, you know, these, um, you got horror films and you got music. And there was this genre of music that was very much all about uh, being hard rock, but then also having like this horror aesthetic you know my first ever album was actually um the misfits collection which is just all their best songs and uh but you know they're singing about vampires and ghouls and goblins and all this stuff and i loved it and uh, i really dug that kind of music and uh you know like i said alice cooper uh the misfits Uh, i got really into kiss kiss was like my favorite band i was obsessed with kiss in high school i i saw them live several times uh, I was Ace Freely for Halloween multiple times. I loved Kiss. I was a big member of the Kiss Army. I had the big black light poster in my room. Uh, I loved them. And uh, one guy who's kind of a part of this genre came a little later, but I would still say counts as a, you know this kind of horror music mixture, I guess, uh, is Rob Zombie. And Rob Zombie makes movies. And I figured if I'm going to be doing... Um, all these movies about music wouldn't it be cool to do a movie about music made by a rock star and so that's where i got lords of salem released in 2012 written directed by rob zombie with music by his guitarist uh, john five and along with that there's a good amount of uh, pretty notable artists on the soundtracks uh, the story is that there's this radio dj um, played by sherry moon zombie who has to be in every single one of Rob Zombie's films, which I'm fine with. Like, I'm really happy. I, I, I like people who are happily married, and they seem to have really, you know, you know, stood the test of time. So I'm happy for them. But she's in every single one of his films. Uh, this is probably the most um, serious role she's ever done, too, because she usually plays uh, kind of a sexed-up psycho Billy chick. But she's very kind of, she seems like a very real character in this. But anyways, she's um she's a radio DJ, and one day she gets this record sent to her. It looks very old and rustic, and uh, it says it's by the Lords, and she starts calling them the Lords of Salem, since they are, this story takes place in Salem, Massachusetts. Anyway, she plays the music for herself, and then she plays it on the air, and it kind of has this effect where when women listen to it, or women from, Mass- from Salem, Massachusetts listen to it, they kind of go into a trance, and what happens is this kind of conspiracy where... Um, this uh, woman, Heidi, uh, she's kind of having these visions of uh, witches and demons and monsters. And, uh, you know, it's just kind of this descent into this conspiracy about these witches around uh, Massachusetts and Salem. And it's, uh, yeah, eventually what ends up happening is um, she gets impregnated by Satan. And she gives birth to the Antichrist is what I kind of take away from the film. Uh it's 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 a weird film um rob zombie i kind of have like a mixed feelings about his films sometimes they're just so over the top i can really appreciate them but sometimes he tries to do something serious and i feel like when he tries to do something serious i just it misses for me 
I think I'm probably in the minority where I think a House of a Thousand Corpses is way better than The Devil's Rejects. But yeah, this movie kind of has that feeling. It's very uneven with the tone. You know, sometimes it's super uh, just, you know, serious. And sometimes it's just kind of off the wall zany. And it just it doesn't mix very well, um, especially when it comes to drugs. I think what ends up happening is the story kind of has this idea of uh, Heidi. She's sort of a recovering drug addict and this sort of... Um, I think I guess it relates somehow to this curse that's happening to her, but it's not really shown in a great way. And it's like the drugs are kind of like barely there. But then when she kind of relapses after she gets porked by Satan, it's played like super melodramatically. And it's really weird because it's like you were acting so serious right now. And it's a serious subject because addiction is a very serious thing. But you were literally just accosted by... A tiny Satan with tentacle dicks so it's hard to take this seriously <laughs> um, so the melodrama just kind of falls flat for me uh, the dialogue too and there's times where like um, Heidi is with her like she's in the radio station and she's talking to her co-host and I feel like that's some of the best acting Sherry Moon zombies ever done you know it's a very she has a very naturalistic way of talking like on the screen she usually is cussing a lot and but like uh, in this film, it's kind of just a little bit more reserved. So when she's talking to her friends and stuff, it seems really genuine. Like she does seem like she's having a good time. And it's very natural and she seems like a real person. But then when she's talking to other characters who are like plot people where she has to talk about the plot, it just sounds so stifled and weird. Like it's so strange how it's like in certain situations, she's really playing to her strengths or other situations. She's just she can't do the seriousness that well it just seems again it falls flat for me it's just a very uneven film um and i'm gonna say right from the, the last thing i'll say about the story and this is the part of the movie that made me just hate it because you know obviously i'm not seeing a lot of good things with this film but there's a part so basically what happens is the people who own heidi's apartment they're the witches you know it's this old lady who owns the house and there's a part where heidi says oh i think there's someone in room five and the landlady says well no that's not possible we haven't rented it out and Heidi says oh okay and you know I just saw someone there so maybe you should check that out so we see the landlady go all the way over to room five check it see that it's locked and then she leaves so we're like okay well she's obviously not in on this little mystery but then later on we see that she knows there's a satan in there and so it's like why are you showing us her no one's watching her go check she was all alone so why did we go see her alone go check that door when she we know full well later on that she is in on this conspiracy that is lying to your audience i do not like that because it's that's a terrible thing to do in stories she had no reason to do that it's you know if you're gonna say a character was you know a double agent all along for satan you know you can't have her when we see her alone doing things that suggest otherwise that's bad that's very bad i did not like that i did not appreciate it because it, 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 you know the twist just seemed weird and i realized that happened and it made me very angry so do not lie to me rob zombie do not lie to me um other than that <laughs> other than that the production's pretty cool i mean rob zombie's experience i mean his, his, his experiences in music videos and you know i feel like every one of his movies kind of has that music video feeling to it this one probably the least amount of all of them it'll go to like these super it's like super serious sometimes and then they'll go to like some music video um aesthetics and i mean if there's one thing rob zombie does do good is he knows cool imagery i guess like you'll see some shit and you'll be like that's awesome um part of the language um but um yeah he has a good idea i guess of like weird i don't know he, he does music video aesthetics really well um, and so there's a lot of cool visuals in this movie. There's a lot of really cool monster designs, um, except for Satan. Satan's in this film, and he's just the most disappointing Satan I've ever seen in my life. It, like I don't know if it's supposed to be played as a joke, but he's he's just a tiny little Satan. It's just weird. I don't like it. There's like this really cool giant monster that I thought was supposed to be Satan, but I guess not. You know, disappointing Satan. Come on, Rob Zombie. You 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 should be cool. You should know how to do a cool Satan. <laughs> um, and then I, another thing I didn't like about this movie, probably 
on the same level of how much I disliked how the story lies to you. The jump scares, oh my gosh. Some of the jump scares are good. Like at the very beginning, there's some pretty good jump scares. The kind of ones I was describing, you kind of get with um, Jew on the Grudge, where they're earned. You know, you have that little tension and you see it and it's like, oh, that's really cool. But later on, the jump scares become so frequent, it's ridiculous. It's And they're always accompanied by these loud stingers and it'll be just during nothing. Nothing will be happening and all of a sudden you'll get stinger, stinger, stinger. And it's just it gets exhausting after a while because it's just like you're just jump scaring me again it's just the freaking parrot and citizen kane has nothing to do with you know being scary it's just a jump scare for the sake of uh, waking up the audience i guess so i don't like that and then along with the visuals i mean this movie does just eventually devolve into a music video like i'm not exaggerating when i say the last I, i don't know maybe five minutes of this film is just a music video with sherry moon zombie watching demons jerk off and riding on top of a goat um and it's just you know this edgy imagery and this is the thing there's disturbing imagery and then there's edgy imagery now there's a part in this film that's very tense it's very well done it's this coven of witches is giving birth to this baby and they're you know this lady's on the ground and her baby's just born and you know the witch is holding the baby and it's tense because you do not trust this witch this witch is nuts she's licking the placenta off the baby She's spitting on the baby, and I part of me just felt like this this baby's about to die. This newborn baby's about to get killed by the switch. That was really good. That's a good scene. That's good. That's disturbing imagery. Edgy imagery is when, again, you're just doing your music video thing, and you show a baby wrapped in thorns on a crucifix with its brain exposed. That's, you know, not disturbing. It's edgy. You know, there's the difference between disturbing and edgy, and I think that's a very fine line that people need to learn to walk, and I don't know if um, Rob Zombie knows how to do that. He's just a little too overt with his, um, yeah, he's just a little too overt. <laughs> so yeah, I would say that kind of sucked. Now, the music was the how was the music in this film? I mean, it was okay. I mean, like there was some really good um, use of uh, Velvet Underground. I appreciated that. Uh, and there's other really good bands like uh, you know you have uh, Rush, Bruce Springsteen, but I mean. It was kind of more, I felt like, uh, it wasn't like a good use of the soundtrack as much as like, hey, here's some good songs. And you're like, oh, yeah, I like this song. It didn't really feel like it pertained super well to the story or was used really well. Like the Dead Kennedy song in um, Green Room, that was a great use of a song. It was awesome. That made me, I was like, yes, this is great. This is exactly why Jello made this song. This is why the situation you would play this song. <laughs> but um yeah, just playing Venus in Furs because it sounds creepy. I don't know. It's just, uh, eh. um, and then, you know, there's the music that was made for the film because obviously the Lords of Salem are a fake witch band making witch music. And, uh, you know, you have to, I guess, compose some sort of song that sounds like witch music. And I, I don't know, that part sounded cool. I like the witch song. Uh, I forget what it was. I don't think it even had a name. I think it was just the Lords of Salem's number one uh one hit wonder i guess uh it was a cool song i don't know it was creepy and i i, I dug it um but it wasn't very memorable i don't remember like a lot of the music or the score um other than the witch song that was like you know the centerpiece of the film so yeah i mean if you can't tell already i i didn't like this film as much um you know, I just feel like Rob did not hit the mark on this one. So like I do on the show, I'm not going to say don't watch this film, but I'm, I'm going to suggest to you films that you should watch instead of this film. And because this is the music episode, I even managed to find films that all have musical motifs or, you know, music as a uh, recurring theme throughout the film. So if you like the premise of a woman under uh you know discovering this conspiracy about witches and whatever you should watch suspiria suspiria is a great film about a dancer who goes to a dance academy in germany and slowly has to uncover this conspiracy about witches it's probably like the best movie about witches so suspiria and it's got a great soundtrack uh if you like the theme of a character who i guess is kind of uh going into uh relapse which is not done super tastefully in this film you should watch Mandy, which I talked about in an earlier episode. It also feels like a rock opera, and the character, after witnessing something terrible, goes into a drug-addled uh, rage, murdering spree, you know, after a couple years of sobriety, it's implied. So 
you know, it's maybe not done as tastefully as you'd want, but it was done tastefullier than uh, Lords of Salem, I'll say that much. Uh, and if you just want to watch a good Rob Zombie film, watch House of a Thousand Corpses. It's not about music, but it's probably the best combination of his music video aesthetics and an actual story. I actually like Sherry Moon's uh, zombie's character in it, as obnoxious as uh, Baby Firefly is, just because, you know, at least it's like a unique character and it feels very Rob Zombie-ish. You know, that's House of a Thousand Corpses. Just, I don't know. I, I, I don't think Rob's ever going to really uh, top that one because it's just such a him film and I everything else you know it just seems like he's trying to do something else now for our final film it'll be hard to talk about the film without talking about the band and the music it's based off of the wall the album was released in 1979 it is an expansive collection of music that tells the tale of this rock star and his deteriorating mental health and how he's built this wall around him to keep people out. The film, released in 1982, directed by Alan Parker, with animation by Gerald Scarf, screenplay by lead singer and bassist of Pink Floyd, Roger Waters, and music by Pink Floyd, is kind of a truncated version of the album. Uh, that said, it has this visual aspect to it. So strangely enough i don't think you're going to get the same story but because of this visual um stimulus it's just kind of a lot of evocative imagery along with the songs that allows you to make your own kind of interpretation uh, which makes the story of this movie kind of hard to explain uh, basically you have again this rock star who is in his hotel room and he's kind of just ruminating about his life and his past experiences and how that's affected him now as an adult and it leads him to use uh, drugs which ends up leading to some sort of mental break uh, that's about the gist of it there's much more into it but it's not told in a very linear way um, this rock star named pink at first is kind of uh, looking back at his like earliest childhood and what he can remember from his early childhood is his father not coming home from World War II. Uh, there's a lot of imagery of war as this terrible thing, and uh, war is like pointless and needlessly violent. And I really dig that because, you know, I feel like World War II gets a pass sometimes. You know, just because it was for a little bit more of a just cause doesn't mean it wasn't terrible. You know, remember what happened in uh, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, uh, Dresden. Auschwitz, you know, and none of those people were actually fighting a war. Those were just people who got caught up in, uh, you know, a terrible, terrible thing. And in the same way, we kind of see how even the death of someone who was in the military can affect, uh, you know, the civilian populace with this kid growing up without his uh, father now. And, uh, you know, you see a lot of scenes with him trying to, you know, find a surrogate father or, uh, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, stuff to be said about his relationship with his mother and how his mother may have become more attached to her son now that her husband is dead and then you know how that could lead you know those those mother issues can now lead into more issues with women you know using a lover instead of a, as a you know a mutual partner and more maybe more as a way to comfort yourself the same way your mother was supposed to it's, it's very interesting you know you could take a lot away from that but you know it's just, you know how Basically, this one incident of his father dying snowballed into a lot more issues that he had later on in life. Like the creation of this wall, which is you know shown as this big white wall, but really it's this um, idea of it's, it's his defenses, it's Pink's defenses to keep other people out, you know, as uh, you know, he reconciles with his daddy issues, his mommy issues, uh, his wife cheating on him, his drug use, all these things that's happening to him. He just... You know, he becomes more and more encased within, you know, his own self, I guess. And it's it's shown just through so much different ways. You know, there's the him being stuck in this uh, hotel room and how the hotel room shape changes and how uh, shadows on the walls begin to attack him. You know, I really like the animated segments in this film. The animation in this movie is probably, I mean, it's probably some of the best animation you'll ever see in a movie. It might be, if it weren't for the live action sequences, it could be the best animated movie ever. Um, there's these kind of demonic representations of the people around him, you know, and 
I kind of get the sense it's not really supposed to represent them completely as much as his interpretation of them, you know, like we'll see his wife in real life and she seems like a sweet lady. Um, you know, she does eventually end up uh, developing a relationship with another man while Pink is on tour. But you also see that Pink did not treat her the best. So you can't really blame her. But then from Pink's perspective, he, she, he sees her as this demonic snake-like being that's, you know, basically attacking him and, uh, you know, spitting. And she has fire for hair and she's got like this snake-like appearance. And, you know, it's just his, the way that he de de uh, demonizes her. It's insane. And same thing with his mother. He, you know, when we see her in the film, she doesn't seem to be as doting as he makes her out to be in his own mind with this kind of obsession with him and you know you kind of get this sense that some of his problems might be less about what's actually happening to him and maybe his perception of other people and I like that a lot you do get these you know ideas of like how his inner reality is so different than what's going on outside and the, the animated bits of this film just so good because even with it shows uh the the blitz it shows the um England or uh you know English cities getting attacked by um you know german bombers and it shows it in this just amazing way where you know these uh the the bombs are being the bombers are being shown coming from this central imposing figure and you know the british people as these kind of like dog-like creatures with um gas masks for faces it's just amazing it just looks so good that's not to say that the live action portions of this film aren't also uh, dark and disturbing uh, you have sometimes these massive set pieces, uh, for instance, when uh, we see Pink as a young boy uh, at school, there's this uh, whole portion where uh, these schoolmasters are marching these kids down the halls as they wear these masks with blank expressions, and these kids with their masks are walk down these halls into meat grinders, and it shows this kind of like, you know, grinding them down into paste and, you know, conditioning them for society and kind of equating, you know, aspects of you know, the school system to fascism, the same thing that they were fighting in, you know, World War II. So it's it's very interesting the way they do that. And the, that mask, too, there's this face. It's just, uh, basically, it's just two dots for the eyes and one dot for the mouth. But it's used so many times throughout the film to great effect to give you just this feeling of uh, just someone who isn't a person, you know, someone who's been stripped of all individuality. And uh, they use it on Pink. They use it on these kids. They use it on... Um, somewhat pink's fans and it's just i, I it's, a, it's a central image throughout the film and you know even in the animation they show him as a full figure and it's just uh, this you know blank husk of a person and that's very frightening um but even without the large set pieces there's also these you know quiet moments that are just hard to watch you know these moments of a uh, pink you know in his bathroom playing with his razor as he's trying to shave off his body hair and his eyebrows and it's just it's it's gross and disturbing uh it's it's, it's very cool and the, one thing i like a lot is um you know because it's so non-linear not only do you get just you know back and forth between the future and the past but you also see parts where uh pink's younger self is interacting with his older self and you kind of see how you know his younger self can even look at now at his um you know present self and be feel fear and it's, it's such a great idea and it's just you know something you couldn't do really in a linear traditional movie and I, I really just like that a lot it's a very just cerebral psychedelic um, experience now visuals are only one half of it because what's the other half music how's the music in this movie what do you think you numbskull it's Pink Floyd Pink Floyd is amazing where have you been living I mean if I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and I'm going to assume that you're just a caveman that was recently thought out. Just go to your record store and pick up The Wall or Dark Side of the Moon or Wish You Were Here and you'll see what I mean. I mean, there's a reason why people associate, when people say, well, what's the best rock band Pink Floyd has mentioned? It's because they're actually good. They're very good and they have such an expansive uh, library of just hits and, you know, not even just hits, just but really good musical number i i pink floyd's amazing i mean i i don't think i'm saying anything controversial by saying that you know pink floyd is really good now that being said what is the if there's a moment in this movie that's the magnum opus it's the final part it's the final song the trial i think the trial is a super underrated uh song it is uh basically with the prelude to this is pink has you know gone through the whole movie he's had his mental break he's you know gone to relapse he's done his drug 
and he's just sort of sitting, you know, he's broken and he's sitting in this stall, this bathroom stall, just on the floor, just a mess. And someone opens up to try to see how he's doing and it just transitions back into that animated dream world. And it looks like they're about to start this big play. You know, you have this disgusting, disfigured, you know, gross lawyer kind of like painting on makeup and he comes out and he has this high operatic voice and it just starts this, you know, mocking musical number, you know, in, you know, all these, uh, you know, all these figures from Pink's life, you know, these uh, demonized versions of them he has in his head, they come out to mock him and make him feel terrible and, you know, accuse him of uh, feelings, you know, feeling feelings, you know, that's his big, uh, what he's being accused of, the fact that he was showing human behavior, yeah, so, it's, you know, it's great, and it's just, again, it's just so different than the rest of the movie, because it's just so, again, operatic and orchestrated, but then the judge comes in with his verdict, and it just becomes this heavy metal nightmare, and it's just so good, everything about that final sequence, the trial, is my favorite Pink Floyd song, and maybe that's something controversial to say, but I just love it, every time I listen to it, it's just got so much, um, it's just amazing, I love it, so... Yeah, The Trial. Definitely the one of the best finales to any movie ever. So, where does that leave us? Uh, to do a quick overview of all the films we talked about tonight, we have uh, Green Room, which was a gritty punk rock thriller that I definitely recommend. It was great in its depiction of not just violence, but also in the actual punk culture. It feels very real to me, from my experiences at least. Um, the... F- uh, Phantom of the Paradise, uh, the best adaption of Phantom of the Opera. I love it because it takes the bare bones story of the original uh, book or movies, you know, all those adaptions, and it adds just this layer of 1970s campy rock and roll, and I just love it. It just works so perfectly, and it's, again, my favorite adaption of uh, the Phantom of the Opera I've ever seen so far. The Lords of Salem. Uh, I, uh, you shouldn't watch that instead of watching this film i think you should either watch uh suspiria which has a better use of uh witches and sort of a musical setting uh mandy which you know is a you know, better story about uh relapsing uh with you know again this very rock opera feeling and uh, house of a thousand corpses which is rob zombie actually making a fun to watch movie i think that's really it, is rob can make some really fun movies but Lords of Salem just feels like it's trying really hard and it becomes melodramatic and uneven because of that. So yeah, those movies would be more fun to watch than maybe Lords of Salem. And then finally, The Wall. It's a it's a masterpiece. I love it. It's it's. I wouldn't say that uh, you know I prefer it to the actual album because I do like how the album has a little bit more of a story. But I, it was a great experience it was dark and psychedelic and it was that again the the my favorite song being given this animated uh sequence was just amazing i i really appreciated that and it was just a highlight of that whole film and again in honor of this being the music episode uh i actually made a playlist on spotify called the uh horizon soundtrack uh that's spelled h-o-r-r-o-r-i-z-o-n and I put about uh, 30 songs that are kind of horror-related, uh, some just because of their lyrics and some because they're actually in movies. Uh, some of the movies, some of the songs are from Suspiria, Mandy, uh, Deliverance, and uh, you know, I just kind of put that together. It's about two hours long, and you know, if you want to listen to that when you're not watching horror films or listening to the show, yeah, it's there for you to listen to, and I plan on adding some more. You know, I really like long playlists that, uh, you know, I can go on really long drives to. So, you know, obviously, like, five hours is the goal eventually. I just got to find better songs, you know. It's a, it's a process. Pa- making playlists is an art form, really. <laughs> and, uh, again, this is an episode that I did not at all indicate I would be making when I was talking about future episodes uh, at the end of my other episodes. But I do think we are coming in. The Godzilla episode's gonna happen. You know, there's a lot of exciting things happening in the Godzilla franchise at the moment, and I would very much like to talk about my boy Goji. Uh, other than that, uh, the Elijah Wood idea, I like the, the Elijah Wood episode. He's again done a lot of contributions to the horror genre lately, and even since he's been a you know a child actor. So I would very much like to uh, talk about Elijah Wood. So 
Elijah Wood and Godzilla. One of those is probably happening next week, <laughs> unless, again, something catches my fancy and I just end up doing some crazy episode that has nothing to do with Elijah Wood or Godzilla. Uh, but if you have suggestions for me, uh, you can email me at overthehorizon at gmail.com. That's uh, horizon, H-O-R-R-O-R-I-Z-O-N, or just at the horizon on Twitter, H-O-R-R-O-R-I-Z-O-N. Um, I'm open to suggestions or, you know, any kind of discourse about my discussion with these films. Maybe you're like a Rob Zombie fan and you think I just dismerged your hero. And I would love to hear you talk about that. Maybe my interpretation of the wall was just dumb and I didn't get it at all. Talk to me about it. I'd love to hear it. And maybe I'll even talk about it on the show. Uh, so, yeah, I just want to again thank you for joining me on another episode of Over the Horizon. And uh, good night, all you fishmans and bad brains. Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes.